0: Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guest today is Geyer Jordett, a soccer psychology researcher who has done fascinating work on the psychology of penalty shootouts. Before we get going, you can sign up for a subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including magazine-style stories and on-site coverage of the men's and women's game. That's grantwall.com. Now, here's my interview with Geyer Jordet. Our guest now is Geyer Jordet. He's a soccer psychology researcher, consultant, speaker, and a professor at the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences. You can find him on Twitter at Geyer Jordet, G-E-I-R-J-O-R-D-E-T. Geyer, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure being here, Grant. Thank you.
0: So you are regularly one of the most interesting soccer people I follow on Twitter which is one really nice thing about Twitter is discovering new and interesting people globally and your bio on Twitter says love looking where no one else is looking how do you describe what you do um,
1: yeah good question uh, so so I'm I guess above all I'm a football psychology researcher. Um, and that, uh, well, bio statement I think is just a reflection of um, I like trying to look at what happens in the edges of the action. Uh, when everyone looks at the ball, I want to look away from the ball. When everyone looks at a shot, I want to look at the things that led up to that, or maybe happens on the side of it. So it's 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 like a metaphor almost for. Looking at some of the mechanisms that lead up to performance, that lead up to outcomes, um, uh, and I think that's where the most interesting things are. Which I, which I, which I think is is reflected in my my research and lately also reflected in my tweets. <laughs>
0: so you had a fascinating tweet thread recently comparing Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel. And how they approached preparing their teams for the penalty kick shootout in the FA Cup final, won by Liverpool. What were some of the things that you noticed?
1: Yeah, so that was that was an interesting one, of course. Uh, so, so I was looking at the, the FA Cup final live, and, and uh, although I've researched penalties for well, I can almost now say decades. Um, Very rarely do I commit to, during a penalty shootout, to statements such as, oh, now this is going to be bad for them, or this is going to be good for him, and things like that. Because it's always so complex. There's so many factors playing into this. But this time, I actually told the people I was sitting with, uh-oh, this is not good for Chelsea. This is one up for, for Liverpool as, as I saw this. Um, now, it's not new what I saw. This is something I've seen many, many times before. Uh, essentially, what happened was that is, it seemed like Liverpool and, and Jurgen Klopp um, had everything decided in advance. So when uh, the referee blew, for, blew his whistle for full time, um, he could instantly go over to the players that they had selected to take a shot and basically get the last second approval from them uh, he sealed that with a hug and, and that was good to go um, and and he did that at actually extraordinary fast speed uh, so, so after about a minute and a half this process was done for, for Klopp and, and Liverpool and he could gather the team into a huddle and, and give a passionate speech like probably only he he can do it whereas when you looked at the Chelsea side that was a very different story so Thomas Churchill probably did not have made this election in advance because you could see him checking his notes conferring with his assistants back to his notes Uh, and basically at the time that that Liverpool had finished the huddle they finished that pre shootout speech uh, Churchill hadn't even started giving his speech. He hadn't even, it seemed, started telling the players who who would take a shot. So then suddenly Chelsea, probably because he sees from the corner of his eye that something happened with Liverpool there. Now there's a little bit of a rushed atmosphere. There's a little bit of stress there. So, so he gets into the huddle and he does, and he continues to re- check his notes and then he does the the asking process basically in the huddle in a very public setting where it seems that he asks the players if they want to take a shot with which number shot they want to take and so forth in front of the others. And it becomes um, a very rushed and stressed and uh, probably not the best foundation for that penalty shootout for Chelsea. Whereas at that time, Liverpool were all done. Klopp was all smiles and hugs. uh, And it seemed like a very different atmosphere. Uh, in, in, in the two teams
0: that's fascinating to me and I guess one question because you're going to run into some people who might question your analysis like what would you wouldn't have written this if Chelsea had won the penalty kick shootout like like but you really, I mean, do think that this made a significant difference because you noticed it as you were watching it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's of course, w- w- what makes the most significant difference? How much difference does it make? A penalty shootout is, is always about probabilities. Um, and some of these things that we saw here with, uh, with Klopp and Turcher, uh I mean, I will, I will tell you, I've been talking about this for years that there are, there's a good way to do that and there's a less good way to do that. I think I published a paper on some of these things back in 2012, so that's 10 years ago. So I would have always said that uh, having your decision done early, um, um, making that selection early uh, so that you can spend time on some of the more softer sides of preparing for a penalty, such as communicating with warmth and care and all of these things that will always be good um, but of course there's no guarantee and this the, 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 there's plenty of examples of uh, teams winning a penalty shootout or players scoring a, a penalty despite all the things they do. And there's plenty of some examples of the opposite. You do everything right, but then you end up missing because there's there's an opponent there that that may have the, the day of their life. So, so there are no absolutes there are no guarantees, but we can work with probabilities, and I try to stay with that as much as I can.
0: We're seeing a lot of penalty shootouts this time of the year, as we always do. I mean, on Saturday in the FA Cup final, and then I was watching the Argentine semifinal with Boca and Rossing later in the day. That went to penalties. Uh, The only difference there was it was right after 90 minutes. They didn't even play extra time. Um, What should we know about the psychology of a penalty shootout? And are there common mistakes that still get made by by teams, by players, by coaches.
1: Yeah, that's a massive question. So, how many hours did we have on that <laughs> <laughs> question? again? because there's, uh, yeah, there's so much that we can talk about with that. Um, uh, I, th- I think for, for me, most importantly, that um, uh, that that teams, players, coaches still don't really embrace is that one a penalty shootout is in essence, a psychological game, and it should be played as such. And the second thing is that it is actually a team game, and it should be played as such. So so the former, I mean, when I say it's a psychological game, it's really about making sure that you have, as a player, as an individual penalty taker, you have as much control as possible over yourself including your your worries, your fears, your tension, your nerves, all, all of that. Uh, and you need to... Um strive to have as much as possible control over the situation. And when I say the situation, the situation tends to involve then an opponent and a referee. And they will, not the referee deliberately, but definitely the opponent, will try to make things hard on you. And you need to control that in, in certain ways. And there are many things that you can do to control both yourself and the situation. Um, and I see players make mistakes on that all the time because they don't approach it like that. They think about a penalty shoot-up or a penalty kick as, you know, one simple individual act with the ball. But it's about all these other things to make sure that when you hit the ball with your foot... Um, it has as much as high chance as possible to actually go the way that you want it and many mechanisms go into that now the team game of it is basically the same principle that you tend to see a penalty shootout as uh, a string of individual performances and of course to some extent that's true but if you're approaching this as someone is you just send someone up to perform then they come back and the next one comes up to perform then they come back and you don't think about how do you communicate how do you support how do you supply positive energy into the group either from the coach or staff side or between the players so how do you basically approach this as a group um, then you're gonna make things very hard on those individuals who are who are going up to perform. Um, and now and then I see teams who do this quite well, um, uh, but those tend to be the teams who have embraced this part and actually have deliberately done something in advance to prepare it. Uh, because if you just we don't think about it, then you you're more likely to just be to have your emotions get the best of you and you do what's m- impulsive at the time. And that's not, that's not necessarily what's the most rational.
0: You know, it's interesting because you were critical earlier of, of what Chelsea did in the FA Cup final, but there was another tweet thread you had uh, about Chelsea being sort of innovative, I think, during the FIFA Club World Cup when Chelsea had a penalty, and this was in the run of play, um, you know, during the, the regular time, and and sort of faked out the opposing team on who was going to take the penalty. And interestingly, Christian Pulisic with the United States men's national team subsequently did something similar and brought what had we, what we had seen at Chelsea. Um, could you explain what happened and what you noticed? So, so
1: I, I think Chelsea was the real pioneer with this. Um, um, technique or strategy, at least I, I cannot remember having seen it before. Um, I, just, I just call it the decoy penalty taker. Um, and what that is, in, in essence, is that um, it's a reaction, I think, to what has emerged more and more these last years, although it has always also been there from the beginning of penalty times, but more now is that opponents are trying to get you off balance. Opponents are trying to play mind games. They're trying to disturb you. They're in your face. They're saying things they're moving around. They're doing all kinds of things to get you to lose your composure as a penalty taker. So in the uh, club world cup final between Chelsea and uh, Brazilian uh, Palmeiras, Um, Chelsea gets a penalty kick I think it's like what is it over time on extra time or two minutes before the end something like that so way at the end so it's clear that this is decisive if they're going to score this if if they score this kick they're going to win the game and become club world champions and what you see is um, Chelsea's captain uh, Azpilicueta uh, he grabs the ball steps up to the penalty mark uh, so clearly, seemingly, he's the one to take the shot. And what you in- instantly then see is that the Palmeiras pay- players are, are uh, swarming around him. Um, some of them are in his face, some of them are saying some words, and they're not friendly words, I think. These are definitely words to get him off balance. Um, but Aspilikueta is standing there, firm, strong, you know, he, he has control. Eventually, the referee is able to clear the path, clear the area. The Palmeiras players and the goalkeeper go away, the goalkeeper on the line. And then out of the shadows comes uh, Havertz, because he's the real penalty taker. And throughout this whole time, he was standing on the outside, on the edge of the box, preparing calmly, just focusing on his shot. He comes in, grabs the ball, Aspelcueta goes goes out, uh, and basically they've, they've done this Play that—that uh, that just fooled everyone, and and of course the story becomes good because Harvard scores and they become club <laughs> world champions. So pretty nice, I think.
0: <laughs> Another question I have about penalties is: I remember the 1999 Women's World Cup final here in the United States, and that was you know full Rose Bowl Stadium, ninety thousand people, really transformative cultural event in the United States can't believe it's been that many years, but it goes to a penalty shootout, USA and China. And Mia Hamm, who is just about the greatest goal scorer ever in the women's game, doesn't want to take a penalty and uh, has to sort of be told, you have to take the penalty. And she ends up converting it. The U.S. wins. They make history. And yet it makes me wonder, and there's other examples of this over the years in, in women's soccer, men's soccer. Why is it that some great goal scorers are not good penalty takers?
1: Very interesting question. Um, and, and I have some some thoughts on it. But before I say that, I think generally great goal scorers are pretty good penalty takers. So, and, and that's actually important because this is a simple thing that we've done in our research. We look at the, the conversion rate for players from different positions. So basically you see then that that forwards or strikers uh, they score more goals than midfielders, who again score more goals than defenders. Um, which means that there is a skill effect on penalties, also in penalty shootouts. It's not just you know mind games or dealing with pressure. If you if you're able to, if you tend to be good at scoring goals, you're probably going to be good at scoring penalties as well. So that I think goes in most of these cases. Um, but then again um uh, uh, why they don't why, why there are some exceptions to that or why there are some some players who, who are not so comfortable with penalties. I think first of all, it's a, it is of course a different skill. So it's a different skill than scoring goals from open play uh, scoring goals from open play is a... It's a very, very complex perceptual motor skill that that requires that you have an, uh, a very acute sense of space, um, being able to travel through tight areas, uh, make the right decision uh, of many and so forth. Whereas a penalty is a, is a closed skill. There's There's much less going into it. So it's a very different type of skill. And as a result, you have penalty taker specialists who are uh, i mean they could be good players but some of the absolutely best penalty takers in the world aren't necessarily the best uh attackers or goal scorers in the world overall so 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 of course there's a very special skill component going into a penalty and then there's the second component and that is that um Penalties are scored on about or almost 80% of the time, which means that when you go into a penalty, the expectation is that you will score. Um, and that expectation, of course, brings pressure. Uh, and that's difficult to deal with for some of these players. I don't know if that was the case with Mia Hamm. Uh, I suspect this was the case with a player, a legend like Johan keroif who basically never took penalties. Um, when he took penalties, <clears throat> he would miss them because he has missed fame. In, a, in at least one penalty shootout. Or he would do the artsy approach where instead of shooting, you know, he would pass the ball to a teammate where he had planned ahead that, that they would do that kind of trick. Which, so, he, so he couldn't just take a normal penalty, he needed to take a special penalty. And, and to me, that's a, it's cool and nice, but it's also in, in a way an, an escape from that pressure of everyone now expects you to hit this simple shot, now can you do it or not?
0: Now, the format of taking penalties in a shootout, there's been some discussion about this because, as I understand it, if you go first, if your team goes first in the penalty shootout, you should be expected to win about 60% of the time. And, and you may or may not agree with those stats. So I want to hear that. Um, but there's another format that's been discussed about penalty shootouts with... It's called the ABBA format, where um, you go one team and that it's like a snake basically. Um, and and so in each round, it's a different, te- it alternates between teams that go first in, in the round. Would you prefer that ABBA penalty format? And and what's your take on the 60% number that we hear?
1: Okay, yeah, um, super interesting also. Would I prefer the ABBA format? And uh, My answer is absolutely not. Um, and I'll tell you why, I have two reasons for that. So one, Um, As far as I know, and I have to say it like that, the evidence is not as strong as originally stated uh, about this. So certainly there have been a few or really one big study uh, showing the 60-40. Now there have been more recent published studies with a bigger sample uh, and there's been unpublished studies I've seen with even bigger samples, but they're not out yet, uh, that shows that this difference is not at all that big. Um, um, Some of the studies I've seen show a difference of about 52, 53 to 47, 48. So still maybe a one to two or 3% benefit of going first other studies I've seen show basically 0.5% uh, benefit of going first. So um, just because of that, I don't think that it, it doesn't make sense to me to, to change the format. Um, now, maybe you should gather even more data if you want to do this. But from what I've seen, it's 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 not even a, a foundation to gather more data. So I, I would suggest that this, this is not um, yeah, a meaningful change of the game. Uh, and the second thing, uh, but that's, of course, my bias, is that the ABBA format, to me, would instantly make the penalty shootout a tad more complex, uh, which would remove some of the simple beauty and appeal of the penalty shootout. So, so to me, it would, it would water down some of the magic that is in the very, very simple format, head to head, very predictable. Uh, and and uh, so, so, I think that would be a little bit sad to, to move away from that, to be honest.
0: Interesting. So, pulling back a little bit, what's your background in the sport of soccer, football?
1: <laughs> yeah, what's my background? Well, I, I guess as most people uh, who are uh, doing work in this, I, I started playing, of course. Um, uh, and I was a, a decent a youth player, uh, and, I, and I even uh, I signed a professional contract with the with a first team in Norway at the third level at the age of uh, 18. Um, so up until that point, you know, I was on my way to maybe becoming something. I would never become a great player, but you know, at least you know, I was on my way into the adult game. Uh, and the very very first preseason game, um, very first game, I got an injury. Uh, and that was basically it. So, mm-hmm. so I never came back uh, as a player. Uh, now, what I did do then was that I moved into coaching. Um, and I suspect now there are no official data on, on this, but I suspect that I was the youngest, or I am the youngest ever head coach for a top league team in Norway on the female side, that is. Uh, so I was the head coach only for a few months. And I was nowhere near a success. The team was relegated, no chance. <laughs> so but i I did coach a couple of years uh, and and since that i i've I've been in the game uh, in in addition to my research as a as an advisor i mean uh, i mean I've, I've, I've since since I started this i I've, I've been a personal advisor to over. 130 professional players uh, and I still have a portfolio of players that I speak with every week and follow them up who play in, in nice good leagues in, in Europe. Um, so this is a way for me to stay close to the game. Uh, hopefully I add some value, but I know that I get a lot of value back from being up to date on, on what's going on at the moment.
0: No, that's really interesting. I, I, what, how does that is what does that involve when you when you work personally with players?
1: So then I work basically as a, you can call it a sports psychologist or a mental coach. Um, so it's, um, it's really following up on them. So, so I'm, a, I'm a personal trainer, personal advisor. I see every game they play. We speak leading up to the games. We speak after the games. Uh, I provide analyses of them uh, that is both about the performance skill side and it's about the psychology side. Uh, we speak about things that are going on in the club, in training, you know, you will not believe how many of these players have issues with their coaches, with their staff, you know, all those things, but also sometimes about life. So just, it's it's a, it's, it's a sports psychology role, but, but I'm hired by the player and not by the club.
0: And, uh, what are some of the big projects you have done over the years?
1: You mean the research projects then, or, a-
0: um. Yeah, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, I, I I think in the the focus of my career has has it's tended to be in in the way that I've I've had a few years somewhere between three, four, and five, six where I focused extremely deep on one area within then football and psychology. It's always been football and psychology. So. Uh, and some of these topics I've kind of gone back to later on. So probably the first topic that I really went went far with was, was uh, visual perception awareness on the pitch, scanning where you're moving your eyes, head, and body to to see what's around you. Uh, so I started this in the yeah late '90s, so a long time ago. Um, Uh, And I don't think anyone had done that before before we started doing this. So basically we filmed players in matches, um, but we had one camera focusing on each player uh, to give really nice close-up images of those players. And then we looked at how they physically went about uh, observing what's around them, looking, seeing, and and so forth. Um, So that took a few years. Then Um, I tried to, convince um, Norwegian football coaches that this was important and this was you know the next big thing and they would have nothing of it so they threw me out uh, and they didn't you know buy the whole setup um that was a bit discouraging so I went back and I did other things but then I came back again after 10 years but now I came armed with I mean armed in quotation marks with uh, examples that weren't Norwegian examples. Now I came with the study that I just had done with the Premier League players. I came with studies I done with Champions League players, and I could show examples of how these things happened. You know, with with Messi and Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, and now now things were very very different. Um, and that's a part of football. I think that the 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 power of these authority examples uh, are, are 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 so big. So that was the first kind of. Um, project that, that I kept coming back to. Um, another big project, of course, is what I've, what I've already talked about with respect to penalties. I think actually that's where I escaped after I got turned down by all these coaches with my scanning project. So I spent um, probably five or six years um living breathing and sleeping penalties (laughs) i did not do much else in those years Uh, but i was also fortunate in that period because i was i lived in the netherlands at the time Um, and and the netherlands had a had a very deep and disturbing and recent penalty history that was uh characterized by trauma more than anything else so they were extremely curious and open to different types of research going into this this field so so i initiated a collaboration with the with the dutch uh, football federation and and ended up uh, supporting their national teams the first team the youth teams the olympic teams going into different tournaments with respect to to penalties Um, another big project for me has been uh, very, very different um, um, on learning, effective learning, effective practice environments, youth development, uh, what type of training gives the best results and, and so forth. Um, spent a few years uh, doing that. Um, that was when I was also um, hired in Norwegian football uh, to, um, uh, to serve the Norwegian professional clubs on psychology. So, basically, I was the league in-house psychologist, uh, to say it like that. Uh, uh, but I was also yeah, accompanied by these projects on, on learning. Um, and then there are other projects also. Um, now, what always is the case with these projects is, is that um, uh, what I'm working on, you know, right now are things that I will be talking about in like two to three years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so, the things that are, are out are always a little bit later than what's actually going on at the moment. Uh, and and that's, I think, uh, a necessary survival strategy in this this type of business.
0: No, that totally makes sense. I still remember being in Rotterdam for the Euro 2000 final week and being with Dutch people watching the semifinals. They're the host. They go out on penalties. And when you use the word trauma, it actually makes total sense now that I think back to it because... All the dutch people i watched the game with it was like a traumatic experience and that night they they showed the replay over and over again on dutch television and cruyff was on It, it was such he was, he was so negative about the whole thing it was just uh yeah. it sort of scarred me actually just watching how the dutch dealt with the whole thing um and we got just a couple more questions really appreciate the time um yep. who are some of the innovators in global soccer that have stood out to you recently? Um,
1: yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And of course, difficult to, to, to answer. Um, uh, but I think, um, on, on different levels, um, so f- f- one, one, um, group that I feel the need to, to answer it's, it's a, it's a boring answer, but, but it's Liverpool football club, um, now, contrary to what people might think, I'm not a Liverpool fan, <laughs> but but I am a fan of some of the work that they're doing. Uh, I, I think that they've they've innovated uh, in some of these spaces that I care about, having to do with uh, data, statistics. Uh, my good friend uh, Ian Graham, who's the head of research at the club and his department, has done some wonderful things uh, this these past years. Uh, but what I've seen also this year. Um, following uh, uh, penalty kicks in the Premier League uh, particularly intensely. Uh, I see a Liverpool that that does things a little bit differently than other teams and I find that fascinating. Um, for example, what we spoke about, well, really the, the Chelsea innovation, which is probably the still the standout innovation of the year, but, but, but Liverpool, they're doing many, many versions of this for regular penalty kicks where they have a team of people who basically mobilize to help the penalty taker, protect the penalty taker from opponents, from the goalkeeper, and so forth, and and um and the way they do that is is, is something that is, is quite new to the game. So, so I would say Liverpool is is definitely one. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you what you asked, but. Um, um, uh, what I, something I've done lately now I'm back to penalties again is 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 I've, I've become fascinated with Brazilian uh, football now okay. who wouldn't be fascinated by that of course but but what I've looked at is is some of the ways that these both penalty takers and goalkeepers behave with penalty kicks uh, and I see some innovations there uh, I tweeted about this too i mean the the Flamengo strategy when they get a penalty kick, where they instantly put one or two players to guard the penalty mark, so it's not being kicked up by by opponents, and and it's a similar strategy to the decoy penalty taker by Chelsea, because the real penalty taker then is standing and you know, over the ball outside of the area, calmly preparing and and so forth. Uh, and speaking of Flamengo, I mean they have a goalkeeper who, statistically speaking, is the best goalkeeper in the world on penalties Diego Alves who also used to play in Spain for Valencia and seeing him and his mind games when he plays because he doesn't play that much anymore but it's um, I'll let you in on a little secret um, when uh, uh, a couple of months ago a few months ago and it was uh, my turn to have uh, have COVID um, you know I went into that week that I ended up having this and uh, not knowing exactly what would happen, so I cancelled all my appointments. You know, no lecture, no talks, no meetings, no phone calls. Everything gone for a week. Um, but then I ended up, you know, I wasn't affected that that hard. So, so, so it became a very pleasant week, you know, physically. Uh, but I took the opportunity to just dig into the Brazilian league and penalty kicks, and I spent a week basically studying that. And it's it's probably the best week I've had in years. So. So 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 yeah, I was inspired by them. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I guess those are the ones that I would uh, would would mention. Yeah, well, actually, a last last source of innovation for me has actually also been been the the teams and the players that I I have worked with myself mm-hmm. the last few years. Uh, uh, they've become a another. There's several of them, and they become a, a big source of both inspiration and information. That uh, that that means a lot to me.
0: Lastly. I'm just curious to know, is there anything about soccer in the United States that you find interesting?
1: <clears throat> well, uh, first of all, I mean, I'm I'm very fond of the United States, and I'm not just saying that I have a lot of family uh, in the U.S. Uh, I, I do work for, I've done work for U.S. soccer, uh, done quite a bit of work for, for the U.S. O.C., so the U.S. Olympic Committee, um, on some of the areas that I uh, uh, that I've taken far, uh, so, so I'm. I'm uh, I have a, a certain kinship to, to to the U.S. Now, with that said, U.S. soccer, I must admit, I haven't followed that closely. Um, so, um, based off of what I do know, I mean. I would say that potential is 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 a very um, important word for U.S. soccer. I mean, uh, the way I see it, it's massive at the grassroots level, uh, but it's more new professionally. Mm. So I would I would imagine that in U.S. soccer at the professional level, you have a situation where um, you don't have the same types of traditions and history as the European clubs uh, naturally have. Uh, now in Europe, of course, that's the source of a deep connection with fans, uh, with club legends, and there's so much going into that 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 becomes a very very meaningful. And you you don't have that in the same in the same way. Um, so of course there's a downside to that. But the upside to that is that you're more kind of free. Um, you're not uh, tied down to all these traditions and these ways that we always do things here. Uh, that is, if you are able to actually break free. Because I suspect that people come into Clubs and and soccer with, um, with their own traditions and their own kind of dogmas and, and ways they've always done things. So so it's still a, so it's still a a, a battle. I I would assume to to innovate and do new things. But uh, but I think you you have a good place to start from.
0: Geyer Jordet is a soccer psychology researcher, consultant, speaker, and a professor at the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences. You can find him on Twitter at Geyer Jordet. Geyer, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Grant.
0: Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Geyer Jordet as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.